0: It's
3: my pleasure to welcome you to a little piece of audio bliss. It's the BRFCS podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the BRFCS podcast. This is the final episode of the 2021 season and, it, it's good to see the back of a season that doesn't have any fans in the ground watching any of the games live. In a packed episode, we have, in part one, an interview with Sam Grimley, who will be talking about how he supports Rovers from Hampshire, but also gives us an insight into his professional life, which has also crossed paths with rovers, and a fascinating look at digital rights management. No, no, seriously, stay with it, it's really worth the listen. In part two, our resident Canadian narrator, Bill Arthur, reads out another chapter from Daniel Gray's wonderful book, Extra Time, 50 further delights of modern football and any of you who subscribe to WSC or listen to their podcast will be familiar with Daniel in his role as host of that WSC podcast Finally, in part three, we review the season with our panel, and we take a look back at the predictions that were made in September, and we'll see who was closest to the mark. And it has to be said, there are one or two optimists amongst us, and only one or two realists. Stay tuned to see who falls into which camp. Right, enough of the introduction, let's press on, and our interview with Sam Grinley. My guest in this part of the BRSES podcast is Sam Grimley. Sam is a Rover supporter who's based down in Fleet in Hampshire. So let's just talk to him about his Rover's bona fides, first of all, and then we'll get into the real crooks about why I wanted to talk to him a little later in our chat. So Sam, first of all, welcome to the podcast. How are you?
0: I'm good, Ian. Thank you very much for having me on.
3: It's our pleasure. Absolutely our pleasure. So you're a Rover supporter, but you're based in Hampshire... Um, square that particular circle for us then did you move down from lancashire or did you worship us from afar
0: born in preston um to a blackburn supporting grandfather Uh, my old man is a avid crew alexander fan um so much so one of my middle names could be alexander but well that's a a separate topic um yeah supported blackburn since i can remember to be honest but moved out of preston when i was probably nine months old and Grew up mainly in Nottingham. Right. He's where I would call home, but um, family members in the States. So I was back and forth between Nottingham and the States growing up, and then now moved to London after graduating university, and now find myself in the beautiful town of Fleet in Hampshire.
3: Fleet in Hampshire, it sounds, sounds very nice, I have to say. What's your earliest Rover's memory?
0: <coughs> Bizarrely, my earliest Rover's memory would have been at East Midlands Airport, going on holiday with some family friends, with a Liverpool. Fan, young lad, sitting in the departures, watching the results come in, seeing that we had lost but won the Premier League. That was one of the oh, most poignant that, day. Prunient, Christ that Christ. day, like a really weird. Like I wasn't at a game. I wasn't following the score religiously because I was young. We didn't have social media, but just sat uh, in an airport, just trying to comprehend what had happened. Like young enough to know what was needed, yeah, but couldn't understand how we'd lost and won at the same time. Realistically. Um, Beyond that, my favourite memory growing up would have to be uh, the 7-0 victory against Nottingham Forest in about 95. Um, Living and growing up in Nottingham, 99% of everyone I knew was a Nottingham Forest fan. And that kept a lot of people quiet for a long time.
3: We did them home and away that year, didn't we? We win 12-1 and I I, think it's
0: something. I think it is something bizarre where we put a lot of goals past Nottingham Forest that year. Uh, I used to go to a lot of Norwich and Forest reserves games when it was proper reserves, football, pay a pound on a Monday night. Yeah. Um, and used to go to a lot of European football at, at, um, at Forest as well with my granddad and my dad just watching football. But, yeah, it kept a lot of people very, very quiet that day.
3: Yeah, I remember uh, a particular... Well, I remember the home game. I think that's when you crossed <coughs> the 3-1 end. But the away game, we were being barracked by somebody in the, uh, the upper tier uh, behind the goal. Was giving it, giving it large about what what Forrest were going to do to Rovers that day, and I think um, was it not long since Lars Behine and, and Ro- Rovers basically just ran the show that day. It, it was one of those where it, it rare, and it rarely clicked that season, but but that that was, that was very definitely one of them. And uh,
0: yeah, it's, a, of... it's got a good memories Forest for me. I've been watching. I took my dad to a game, and he's like, oh, this, "This hype about Jordan Rose, like you know, is it all it is?" and and my dad just turned around and he really scored the goal from those opportunity. Isn't quite bad, is he? He's not. He can finish. Not quick, but Christ, no. he can finish. Quite, so, the, uh, it's, quite um, the
3: enigma, wasn't he, Jordan?
0: Yeah, bizarre. But yeah, I've got lots of young childhood memories. Not all of them good. Um, most recently, Fratton Park on a Tuesday night. It's the only time in my life I paid a tout. Ta- oh, I know second time in my life I paid a tout ta- for a Blackburn ticket. Other, would, other one would be Wolves away to stay in the Premier League.
3: Oh, that, yeah, yeah never, yeah,
0: thought yeah. yeah. never thought I'd pay £100 to watch Blackburn play, but I did. Lordy. And the guy who sold my ticket didn't even give me the voucher that the Benkis had put behind the bar. So it was £100 just for the ticket. I didn't <laughs> think we get a 3 fine they were doing that day. Um, at least we
3: stayed up, so I suppose that's some consolation. I
0: know. Walking around the car park outside Molyneux trying to get a ticket. And then How did you end up paying a tower
3: for a ticket at Portsmouth? Uh,
0: we just couldn't get a ticket at League One, Small Grounds... Um, was it the
3: night that Lewis Travis was sent off?
0: Yeah, I think the night that made Lewis Travis, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the legend was born. Went, yeah, we went down, because it's not too you know, too far, fan out yeah, a yeah. bit of drive from me. Went down, abandoned my car, took the old battered car, because I knew it was going to get keyed or stolen. And, <laughs> like, just walked to the ground, like, can I get a ticket? Like, nothing nothing for the for the club, because it was sold out, and that's impressive on a Tuesday night to be sold out that far away. Yeah. And I was just like, right. Hopefully, someone's got a ticket. so obviously someone had bought a ticket off a Blackburn fan who couldn't go down there. Right. And there was just someone obviously just 20 touting 20. tickets. And yeah. I didn't. I didn't pay a fortune. Card. I waited like literally a minute before kickoff. Like, mate, what are you going to do with it? You know, I'll pay you face value. <laughs> you probably still made something on it, but give give the ticket. So yeah, that was that was a, another most recent enjoyable memory.
3: Very good, very good. I, I've only ever been to Fratton Park the once, and that was back in the nineteen eighties. My best man is um, a Portsmouth fan, and we were uh, we were at university together, and we were going to mates twenty first. And I said, "Look, Rovers are playing Portsmouth." I said, "Why don't we go to the game, and then we'll we'll go on to the 21st. I said, oh, "Yeah, that's that's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll make it." So we we went down there, and um, I had to go with him in, in the um, in the terracing on the side. So it wasn't it wasn't the roughest part of the ground um and so we went in and uh Portsmouth went one up went two up and he started giving it a bit of a bit of chitter chat and people around Recognized that there was something going on here. So at half time, he's going, like, This is my mate here, Blackburn fan, this lad you know, Blackburn fan. So it was all good nature because Portsmouth are two up and absolutely coasting it. And then Simon Garner decided to turn it on in the second half and we won 4 2. And when the fourth one went in, I was kind of like, Look, Derek, we've just got to get out of here, mate. We've just got to get out of here. He goes, Bollocks are that. you see, it's like you're staying here and you're taking your chances. And we sort of like went out the ground and all the, all the way then on the journey to uh, to our friends his 21st my grin had to be surgically removed at the end of the day it was just a, it's always mind.
0: always dangerous when you're up when I, I went to the what, 2017 the FA Cup game Blackburn crew my dad's a big crew fan my brother's a big crew fan Yeah. we went 3-0 up in no time and then Raheem Harmer had his like, half away had his yeah. moment, and I'd already started texting my dad I'd give them all sorts of abuse because they're in the away <laughs> end <I'm laughs> sat in yeah. home and, and they got they got to 3-0 this bloke behind me is tapping you're okay son and I'm like I said, where do you live? she said, can I get a lift back here? I can I get a train back to my hometown? From there. because I'm not getting back in the car with those two idiots. <laughs> and all, all the way home. I was like, looking look at my phone like, can I get, how can I get back to where my dad's house in Nottingham? Just how much Mom is It taxi? It yes. <laughs> wasn't even, it's not a viable route at all in the best of days. Oh, I'll just sit there. and like, I wish I'd not spent all that abuse in the first half. What was I thinking?
3: Right, so. <laughs> well, teaching you to... I think Rovers always keep you on your toes. You never take anything for granted either way. One or two. Anyway, no. uh, lovely lovely chatting to you about Rovers, but one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was in your professional capacity because I noticed a tweet a few weeks ago that talked about Rovers having a, a partnership with a digital sports management company called Horizon. and And you are the person... Now that that's got to be more than a coincidence that uh, that you've marketed rovers and you, you've managed to uh, to capture their signatures. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit first of all about what is digital inventory management and why should supporters care about it uh, and what what do you do? What what does that actually entail?
0: Digital, I'll start a little bit background of the company. So the company's two years old, founded by um, I've got two founders: one's ex Real Madrid, one's ex Barcelona. Um, who realized that there's a whole host of money spent by brands on digital advertising on a a daily basis. And I think if you look at it last year, it was reported about $333 billion was spent by brands on digital advertising. Um, and realized that actually everyone listening to this podcast talking here, no matter what happens, we'll still support Blackburn no matter what happens. We will engage with any piece of social content. If they email you, you'll open it. I recently, the week, We've got more than four, but four emails came into my inbox. One was from Callaway in the market for some new golf clubs. If Callaway's listening, love to be sponsored. Not good enough, but we'll try.
4: Porsche, one was the from Adidas. And-
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. One was from Alidas, one was from Nike and one was from Blackburn. I opened the golf one, wasn't time closed it, didn't even open Alidas and Nike. I opened the Blackburn one, I went through and bought something. Because we're not really an audience, we're a fan base. It's a different yeah. level. So we're not
3: rational consumers.
0: No, so that's a huge opportunity. So, about two years ago, Horizon was born, uh, and a year ago, we sort of went out to market to, to start working with teams. So, we work with anyone from Blackburn Rovers um, to Juventus, Inter Milan, Real Madrid, Chelsea, uh, Galatasaray, Benfica, um, some of our most recent ones outside of football, like Tennis Australia, Delhi Capitals, and the IPL. And we do digital inventory management, or what? Now, what is what does that mean? Um,
3: Sounds terrific. Now, now convince me. I'm just watching the badges scroll through, and it's it's the only time that at the moment I think that Rovers will um, will rub shoulders with the illustrious company that you've just outlined. Seeing Real Madrid's badge followed by Blackburn Rovers is really quite heartwarming. (coughs) Sadly, it's not the Champions League group stage. It's just your website, but there we go. Sorry, I interrupted.
0: You never you you never know. So uh, clubs produce a whole lot of content on a daily basis which is if fans want to consume and if Blackburn stopped putting out social content we will be going well, we want them again I think if you look at actually what Swansea and Birmingham have done just this week depending yeah. on when this airs yeah, yeah. about actually going mute for seven days is yeah. a fantastic thing and fans will listen up to that more than anything because I, I want my content from the club I want the inner workings And like growing up not near Blackburn couldn't get the language even telegraph but yeah, you know, my grandma lived in Preston. Would post it me once in a blue moon for a special piece as a treat. But you couldn't now. It's like, listen, this, I mean, this season's probably been the best as a remote fan because I can watch every game, yeah. and I can engage. Yeah. But we're all desperate for content. Yeah, so clubs produce it, but it's just a load. It's a lot of content which is in EFA and you consume it. What Horizon wants to do is to help clubs understand what content they have, how it performs, and why it performs. And realistically, how they can commercialise it?
3: Right. So it's about so, monetizing those assets.
0: <clears throat> yeah, in a way, I mean, helping clubs well. tap in. Yeah. yeah, helping the clubs tap into that three hundred and thirty-three billion dollars spent on digital advertising. Not that Blackburn can get every single dollar of it, and not even get one percent of it. It's <laughs> being realistic. And like Real Madrid have got great numbers, but still nowhere near that three hundred and thirty-three billion. What we want to do is able to understand exactly what content are Blackburn already producing for commercial partners. So for Recovery, Umbro, Rover Select, Peter Jackson, George, what are they already producing and enable them to report back with ease to those brands. Look, guys, we've produced all this digital content for you or you've been associated, man of the match. This is what it was worth to you in the hope that you service your partners better, yeah, they end up spending more money because you're looking after them, And you can prove the value of of that content. The other piece of this, what we're doing is helping the club understand like what it's, I'd say it's internal content does. So how does content perform about merchandising when they put it after a a midweek game versus do they put it before a Saturday game? Or do they put it on a bank holiday Monday? In the reason of doing more of the good stuff, less of the bad stuff, because I know how I consume my content and when I view stuff and if it comes at the right time, it's great. Like, if the club was to email me on a Tuesday afternoon saying, Sam, tickets are £15 for tonight, that's no good to me because I live six and a half hour drive away. But, if to go and say, oh, we won after the game, we won tonight, here's an offer because we won 3-0. It's amazing. That's what right. clubs are trying to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what we're trying to help teams. It's not about putting an advert down as as consumer's threats because we don't want that. It's about looking at the content you already create, do more of it, and then trying to leverage a commercial partner who wants to sit alongside it.
3: Right, so, so you're providing the, the intelligence and the analytics around the content that's already produced. Correct, and, and yeah. And influencing, so, therefore, what might be produced in future and the means and the timing at which it's disseminated Yeah, I
0: think if you look at the Ben Broughton and Bradley Datt Rover Store content this year... Yeah, and I can see the numbers that performs so well because it's. I think it's brilliant. It's role, great, great content again. I minute it comes out. I if I'm not doing anything urgent, I pause and I watch it. Yeah, and I think the club this year has done a real good step change to give great access. And I think like they've got the training ground cams now with the players sharing all of their. I think Lewis Holt did an incredible um, volley the other day. It's content I really want to see, and I think as fans we. There's been, a, I mean, across sport in general, there's been a real barriers come down in terms yeah. of allowing you access to players and content, and Netflix have done it, et cetera. But yeah, what we're not trying to do is put an advert down the throats of consumers because we, we wouldn't engage with it, and it, so it wouldn't perform, so it's not good for the club. What it is is going, right, end of each month, these are the top five goals, and it's brought to you by Brand X. The content's still the same as a fan. I'm still going to watch it. But also, that brand's getting to go on. I'm going to remember that brand. They're yeah. not trying to put a product down my neck. My personal favourite um, is the European Tour. I'm a lockdown golfer. I've started playing golf, and I'm addicted to it since last year. Is the European Tour bring all of their best drives from a competition? It's brought to you by BMW. It's not a BMW doing a test drive video. It's just me watching the players smash the ball 350 yards again. I wish I could do that. Yeah. But it's brought to you by a brand. And that's what we're doing trying to help clubs bring in more revenue but also create more content so it's better fan experience but better financials at the same time
3: so what's in it for you how do you how do you make money out of it
0: yeah so we obviously charge a fee for our services to the clubs right um we also have a a new part of the business where we'll actually start helping bring digital advertising spend to the club and clubs as a whole be that on a one-on-one basis but realistically making blackburn become part of the wider media brief right so when a new iphone comes out vodafone right space jam 2 is coming out shortly as a movie right space jam 2 is never going to be a sponsor of the football club because it's a two-week campaign what they are going to be doing is probably spending high seven figures trying to get into every household to make in this day and age rent it or download it or stream it for the night it comes out. Yeah. Well, the best way for Warner Brothers to reach that audience is to do it for a football club that I'm, if they do a sponsored post to me on Instagram, I'm going to swipe past it. Cause I know it's an advert. Yeah. If Blackburn were to do something, I'm going to more likely going to engage. I think they've actually just done it with Arsenal as an example. And Chelsea done a great job of it in terms of, they do work with like the Duracell, they did Nerf guns for Hasbro before Christmas. They're not going to be sponsors of the club, but they spend digitally on a daily basis. Happen, and that's a great way to reach an audience is by going by the club to get to you me and whoever else
3: so the the club is effectively acting almost as a broker an intermediary you, you're you're more inclined to click through because of the source from where it's originated
0: a hundred percent yeah even if you've got an advert today um if you have a say gambling because it's with death tax and gambling being banned, we all know it's going to happen, but yeah. if Bet365 were to put a sponsored tweet onto your account today, you're more likely to just scroll past it. If Plymouth Argyle, so nothing to do with Blackburn, were to do a sponsored tweet about Bet365, you're more likely to stop and look at it. Oh, Plymouth Argyle, what have they got to say? Because you're a football fan. Yeah. Then if it comes from Blackburn, it's another level of engagement yeah. and the performance absolutely outweighs the market when it comes to uh digital, which means the club gets more money. Isn't and, that fascinating? It's a round, a complete round circle of how things constantly happen.
3: Do you know what that says to me? It says just just the, the emotional attachment that we have as supporters to our club.
0: Just, oh huge.
3: We're susceptible to so much more because of
0: it. 100 uh, percent like no matter you, you will have drop off if teams don't perform as well and you'll get boosts if you're know, a club gets in the Champions League, you're naturally going to have more fans that just move across. But your core audience, no matter, rain-shy, win-lose-draw, yeah. are going to engage. I mean, no one stopped supporting Blackburn when they went down. To, there'll be a few people who probably did. No one stopped supporting when they are down to League One. Just we're fans. It's not... Yeah, it's, we're not. We're not, yeah. A club yeah, is for
5: life. We're not,
0: ration, <laughs> we're, we're not rational in any no, sense of the imagination. Um, don't think twice about buying a ticket and driving so many miles to watch a game. You just you just do it.
3: So, so the the link with Rovers did it come from you knocking on the door, or was it just coincidence?
0: <laughs> I've worked in the sports sponsorship industry for numerous years, so I know a few of the guys at Blackburn for the past few years. So it was a, it was an approach by me to to Blackburn. It does help that we do have railroad Madrid Chelsea as clients.
3: I guess uh, I so. Want like yeah. to listen
0: to what they do? Being real seriousness to actually announcing Blackburn as a client probably drove more interest in Horizon than announcing Real Madrid.
3: Really?
0: Because it makes it – it proves – Oh, right, so it's scalable.
3: You don't have to be at that. It can scare, it can yeah. scare
0: people that you must need massive yeah. wallets and you need 40 people to dedicate it to it. We have Aded Hagen, the bottom of devise in Holland. Again, we announced that a lot. Oh, they can use it. There's benefit. So, yeah, no, so it's – it's, it's, a, it's a weird one working with a team you support,
3: yeah.
0: Uh, because I'm so emotionally attached to it, but I also have to step away sometimes and think. Well, actually, I know I engage with that content because I'm a fan, but let's think yeah. about it in a different yeah, confirmation way. Confirmation bias, um, if you're
3: not careful, don't you? If you're sort of looking at the stuff,
0: that... yeah. But we, we've got, I've got a great team to work with me. who manage the relationship, keep you on the straight and narrow. Things, but... <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I, and they're a, they're a fantastic, fantastic club to work with. Actually, um, really, enjoy, good, really forward you? thinking
3: yeah.
0: um, in terms of pushing the boundaries.
3: Yeah, because I, th- I think there's a... Well, certainly on our forums, there's a number of observations made about the commercial savvy of the club. And something that I, I've sort of I found really frustrating is the, the, the offering to supporters in terms of merchandise and things like that. So hopefully this is a step in the right direction to exploiting the value of that badge and the emotional <coughs> pull that you've just described. I think it goes beyond just... Yeah, you, you, aren't, you aren't a consumer as a football fan. It's, it's an emotional tug and anything that sort of taps in on that has has got to add value. So as supporters, would we, as the partnership started, have you started doing stuff or will we start to see you come on stream at some point in the near
0: future? Obviously, been working with the club now for a few months. Um, I know the team are actively using our platform on a daily basis, both on that, like just making sure that when you do a substitution announcement, it performs as well as it, it could do. Right. And that seems daft, but. You want your organic storytelling content to do as best as it can do, but also look well. How can you help that structure into commercial relationships moving forward? Be those on the more national stage, but also on a more of a local basis. You know, how can you get more local local brands involved with the club who want to have a partnership with the club? And that front of shirt's been taken already. That's the key asset in sponsorship in football. And then it's really good that the clubs moved away from gambling already Yeah. ahead of the curve absolutely. because
3: yeah.
0: it's. Uh, the the politics and the political side of things in terms of gambling on kids' shirts, etc., it's going to get banned eventually. It may come back after that. Italy did. So to be ahead of the curve, otherwise you're going to have 16 different clubs all going to market at the same time. And it does become a race to the bottom. So I think the club needs to take some credit for for doing that and such a unique partnership as well. I think that's really good. I think using the platform, we probably will see some results. Uh, ahead of next season, I, I know the team at Blackman are working hard to make that happen with the data, and we'll hopefully support them in that in that journey Good as well.
3: Stuff. Excellent. Well, we, we look forward to re- receiving it. Every time I get something now, I'm going to be thinking, "Am I being manipulated?" And the answer to that almost certainly is yes, uh, because otherwise, why, why would people send that stuff? Yeah, it's a...
0: yeah. I think it's just that, you, know, you. Hopefully, we'll see more of a, It'll help the club do more content that we, everyone wants to do and wants yeah. to see and engage with less of stuff they're not that interested in yeah. um so that's better as a as a fan base But then obviously hopefully bring on commercial partners but again it's not about putting an advert down after it. it's it's about just having a partner double partners with content we love no different than we already have peter as man of the match it's yeah. a perfect fit but trying to do more of those and no one goes oh it's a peter jackson advert oh good on peter jackson for yeah support
3: in the club sam that's been fascinating uh thank you very much for your time uh it, it will we'll oh, sure. keep an eye open obviously and see, see what happens and uh as i say it's terrific to see that rovers badge nudging shoulders with the likes of chelsea real madrid barcelona all the rest of it so very well done on that and uh hopefully we can all get back into a ground soon whether it's the den or whether it's charlton's or where, wherever it might be and, and actually physically um, physically go out and watch our the team of our choice again so thank you for your time once again all the very best with the partnership and, and if you can start generating 50 68 70 million pounds income extra and we can sign some decent players then promotion is on you no pressure then no not at all
0: thanks for time the main thing I miss about non-Covid is I used to travel three, four days a week and I'd, my podcast was just like this yeah. now my podcast list so like I literally just used to be able to get the train to London yeah. or get a taxi to Heathrow get on a flight and have a flight have, and I can just have podcast all day long minus my like meetings yeah. and now I can't I just have to sit my desk all day, I, I find that I, don't,
3: I read so little now um, and I, I try to take the content in Audio. So, if i lock down, walks for instance, and all that sort of stuff. If I'm going out on my own, I can, I can listen to podcasts. with really. <laughs> Mrs. H says, "Let's go." For, oh, no, I can't listen to anything. That's an hour I'm going to be oh, yeah. out, and I'm not, I'm not consuming content. This is tried,
0: wasted time. Like, be anything. really picky about what you're listening yes. to, you listen know, to. I got rid of quite a few. Like, I haven't got time for you. I'm sorry. It's like, you've got to go. You've got to. It's go. all right. Go. You can yeah, let me down gently. Right. No, it's one that you definitely stayed. Uh, that and Under the Cosh are my two favourite. Oh,
3: yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We come at it from a slightly different angle <laughs> than Under the Cosh. Oh, that that Ben Marshall God. episode was sort of like hot. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the thing, my wife's a Blackburn. Well, I'm a Blackburn fan. She had two older brothers who they said just she, she's she a football team when she was younger. And she chose Blackburn because thought the kick it was nice. And it was the year they won the Premier League when her brothers right. made a, right. a team. That's right. yeah. She has no interest in football whatsoever. Yeah, uh, m- except Mrs. she does think m- Mrs. Mister Dunn is very dishy because we met, we were sat next to him at a game and I was, I was a bit starstruck. But I had a photo. He's like, who is that? I was like, oh, it's It's David. David Dunn. She's like. Oh, he's very dishy. So she's like, now, I'm like, that's it. I'm like, oh, thanks, that I can that's my idol's now your <laughs> idol right. in a separate, different, different,
2: different way. Once, long ago, it was love. He scored the goals that made life worth living. He decorated the pitch with beauty, as if flinging rose petals on a bed. You shared electric times of victory and were there for each other when harassed by woe. You sang his name, and he clapped back, the last to leave the pitch. Surely it would never end. Yet all the while he had a roving eye. At first you ignored the malicious rumours, but then the worst turned out to be true. And if he had to leave, did he have to join them? After the departure, his remarks to the press carried no mention of your club. Just flirtatious promises floated towards his captors. Switching off and turning away, you try to forget and move on. A broken heart, though, is impossible to mend when so many other thousands are suffering too. There is no forgiving and forgetting, just angry reminders and tetchy remarks about greed and quizzlings. Sour words from both parties about contract promises unfilled make it to the press. The first meeting with his new team is gurgling and boiling. The game you look for on fixture release day. When the season begins, seeing him in their colors on television makes your stomach ache. There's nothing you can do. At least when you see him live, cathartic pathetic medicine is available. You can boo. Match day arrives. Just before kick-off, eyes move to the tunnel and fix there, onto the pitch the teams come. There there he is, in the other queue, shaking his old comrade's hands, then jogging away into their half, clapping their supporters with two hands over his head. They may sing his name. Perhaps they have even stolen your song for him. It is reminiscent of the gut-smashing moment when, dancing away heartbreak in a nightclub, the record that reminds you of sweet times of the recent ex is played. You and those many thousands around you, are filled now with pain, anger, hurt, confusion, and a very real urge to shout something preposterous and biblical. When the team line-ups are read out, you are startled by the volume of your own booing. Perhaps this is a stage of grieving and the start of recovery. The game starts, and it is almost surprising that he still has the same running style, and still spreads the ball with the same luxurious caresses. It is as if you expected him to have changed, to have somehow been reconfigured by his new owners. His touches of the ball are met now with jeers where once they made your heart flutter. When one of your players, an ex teammate no less, bumps him onto his backside, you cheer with the euphoria of schoolboys celebrating a teacher's wig flying off in the wind. As the match progresses, Venom lessens a little, though never leaves the stadium. There are reflective moments when you stare down and remember what was, what you had. Then he uses the jagged elbow that you formerly dismissed as merely a combat tool on one of your players, and pandemonium is refreshed. There is an unthinkable scenario in which he scores and pecks at his new club crest in front of the home end. More likely he's hounded out as a non-scoring second-half substitute. He retreats and your supporters can feel some satisfaction that they have heckled a villain from the stage. Booing a returning opposition player is barbaric, regrettable, unsavoury and yet deeply therapeutic. It is football's version of screeching out, I will survive in a seedy karaoke bar.
3: financial reasons the rfcs podcast needs a transition into a sponsorship message this is that transition
6: oh well wouldn't you know it once again bumped into tony mowbray here here at brockhall tony how'd you take your brew mate well basic really uh, tea quite strong uh, two sugars and uh, and i always drink out of my favorite mug Oh, which uh, which one is it? Oh yeah, it's good. And it? I got it from the Middlesbrough store. Um,
7: and, yeah, it's uh, pretty,
6: yeah.
7: Oh no, 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 it's only not the mid
6: the the Rovers one. Oh, this one, right? Yeah, you can get them personalised at um, at the terrace store. Uh, of course, and there's uh, manager of Rovers I've got. You can get them personalised with all the different players of your choice. Oh, which you know, which which, which players would you have, then? Well, you, you obviously you've got your, your Lenahans, your Dax. Danny Grahams proper proper professional footballers but obviously I've chosen my favourite Elliot Bennett
2: oh, of
7: course well Joe Rothwell's one of my favourite players any plans to get him mug for he'll
6: just have to wait this turn I think yeah but you know if you want to get one of these get your hands on one you could just have to go to the uh, go to the terrace store and enter BRFCS at checkout oh well that's that's brilliant then thank you Tony yeah it's fine but remember only Tony drinks out of the earlier Bennett mug, you'd have like to get yourself along with I don't know Ben Grerron on it oh well, okay then Hello there, you're listening to the BRFCS podcast, and this bit is simply a mechanism to assist the editing together of two different parts. Sorry to let daylight in upon magic, but there it is.
3: So in this part of the BRFCS.com podcast, we are going to look back on the season that has just been. It's unique in many, many ways, but we're going to get the views of our panellists. I'm going to ask the panellists to introduce themselves and to sum up the season in five words exactly from their perspective. So in the top left-hand corner, I can see Scott Sumner. Scott, how was the season for you in five words?
8: We have not missed much.
3: Succinct and pretty accurate, I think. In the top right-hand corner, I can see uh, the Grimshaw family. I'm going to start with Stuart, first of all. So, Stuart, would you like to sum up the season in five words exactly, please?
4: Never came close to second.
3: <laughs> and we'll, we'll come back to that theme later on, I think, when we talk about the predictions <laughs> and your not wild shadowing. optimism. Uh, young Matt representing the uh, teenage constituency, um, would you like to sum up the season in five
9: words, please? Yep, so I've gone for very disappointing, considering exciting start. Pretty good, that. Pretty good. And the columnist from Lanx
3: Live, we, we all read his, uh, his column this week summing up the season, but can he sum up the season in five words? Let's put him to the test. Mr. DeLap, are you?
7: Looking forward to the break.
3: Can't think why. Very good. Uh, next in my Zoom window is Holly Thurston. Holly, uh, we're going to. Um, lord you as our predictions champion i suspect later on but sum up the season for us please in five words hello
5: and <clears throat> um, i've got thank god it's over
3: <laughs> there is a theme that's recurring here time and time again i suspect
5: <laughs> and last but
3: by no means least uh lins looking forward to the euros and we'll hopefully we'll touch on that later on but how was the season that we've just em- uh, evidenced from your perspective
1: lacklustre, boring, disappointing, unengaging, drama.
3: Okay, not not mincing your words there too much.
1: Yep, that sums it up for me.
3: <laughs> so that's our panel, that's the synopsis of the season in five words, and now we'll, we'll give them the opportunity to, to talk about things in a little bit more detail. Let's talk about when did precisely, when was the point that last season started to go wrong? Or well, let's phrase it a slightly different way. When was the last occasion that you thought, do you know what, we can still do this? And then where did it go terribly wrong? Mike, do you want to kick us off? Because obviously your column uh, in this week's lengths live referenced the season in a lot more detail. So what was the last point at which you were optimistic?
7: Oh god, I'm saying I'm permanently that to be fair, but um i will probably say even a bit later than I think you'll get from other people, but I think around about the time that we was at QPR, 1-0 away that we had at Loftus Road. we kind of come off the back of scraping some results through January and being in and around the top six. But it really was just a game that highlighted how we go about our business this season. We seem to spend forever with the ball, never threatening. And then we chucked in a soft goal at the end that was like a short two-paragraph match report. You could have used about 45 times this season. It was around right about the point that I just thought, you know, No matter how much we pepper away here, we're just going to fall short.
3: And what do you think went wrong?
7: A multitude of things. I think, in in general, I think the one thing that I would pinpoint above anything else is it was really maddening having to watch our persistence playing in the style that that the manager had decided that we needed to play. I think he'd almost sort of decided that we were playing like a Liverpool or a really top-tier side where he has the ball all the time and be really finesse-faced and slow and a bit, you know, it just didn't suit us. If we'd have had Adara Bayo that we had last season, might have possibly had a chance of pulling it off but it just didn't suit the personnel and and the persistence of that was just mind-boggling.
3: Linz, from your perspective, then, a good start. How, how long did your optimism last into the season?
1: Well, as you know, Ian, I don't usually prepare for these podcasts, but I have on this occasion. So I went back through my tweets and I think I gave up all hope when we lost to Forrest away. So that mid-February, so February. I don't necessarily think it's losing that I've got an issue with because we're quite used to that, really, aren't we? You well, know, there's, there's no real drama in really that I think it was at that time when kind of everything just turned a little bit toxic and it all just wasn't enjoyable there was no enjoyment whether it was Mowbray coming out with ridiculous things or logging onto Twitter and everybody falling out with each other or people who I think really good and making the squad people who I think are rubbish being played every week there was there was nothing in that time that I could find any positivity with and that's kind of how the rest of the season has gone for me to the point where the last two or three games I didn't even watch I wouldn't have been able to tell you the score and for me as somebody who two seasons ago was going to Bournemouth on a Tuesday night and getting in at three o'clock and going to work at 7am that's a huge shift for me. Stuart
3: from your perspective what went wrong and when did it go wrong? It all went wrong when Armstrong
4: stopped scoring. I know you're going to take the mickey out of me, quite rightly, later on for my prediction, but I think I caveated it with um, we have a very strong first team, but we don't really have much strength in depth. So when we started racking up the injuries and stuff, and you add that to Armstrong not scoring that's when it all started to go wrong.
9: And what does Matt think? I was optimistic right until it was mathematically impossible to do as well as everyone might have thought. But the last game where I was really impressed by the way we played was actually when we beat Preston uh, 3-0 in November. That was my last game where I thought, yeah, we're showing off quality. And I think after that, I just sort of, I kept my optimism. Realised quite quickly that it wasn't going to become what I wanted.
3: I think I share the same view. Uh, I think the two five two wins that we had at the end of the season flattered us. I think they really did because we came up against uh, opponents that basically were well, if you can be on the beach in COVID times, they were, but uh, they were at least sitting there on the laptops looking at websites to book holidays. I think. But the Preston away game was probably the one that we. Uh, We looked pretty disciplined, I thought. We looked pretty sharp. It was a good performance and over a local rival, and it compared very favourably with the home match over Preston, I thought. Scott, same question to you. Where did it start to go wrong? When did you sort of give up all hope?
8: Well, not give up all hope, but I think that autumn period, Preston away aside, there were some really bad performances which were kind of masked by last-minute winners or, you know, we were still getting the points, which was the main thing but the performances weren't there. And I suppose the final nail in the coffin of losing hope was that Friday night, Preston home, when I think Rich Sharp's match report started with chaos and confusion. It just felt like everything had gone to pot. There was no plan. There was no motivation. The famous one where Sam Gallagher was thrown on as a false two at right back. Bill (laughs) Arthur came out with that one. (laughs) So I felt, yeah, at that point, things were starting to catch up with Mowbray. that suddenly we weren't getting the points and the fourth performances weren't even there.
3: Holly, what about you? How long did your hopes manage to sustain during this last season?
5: February for me was the month that it was like, OK, this is done now. <laughs> like a couple of the others have said, it became, it became quite toxic on Twitter and on the internet in general, because it felt like there was nothing positive. (laughs) There was nothing, like I'm normally quite a positive person when I tried to be in general, but it was getting to the point where I was trying to think, there is nothing I can actually think about these performances that we're putting out that I can think, oh, well done to this person or yeah. well done to that. Cause it, the, there was just nothing. Yeah. There was absolutely nothing. We were consistently giving away the ball in midfield. Well, some, at some points there was probably no midfield and it was a defense and some strikers that really didn't know how to con- talk to each other. That, frustration just exploded with the fans. And that's when I I think that's when most people, I guess, turned on Mowbray. And yeah, I think that that for me was, was the turning point. I think Preston. And then it just became like a run of of games where it was just disappointing. It convert the chances that we have and this the amount of shots that um the Armour has on goal or shots in general compared to the goals that he scores for me is a massive frustration and we can say that we want loads of money for him but I think that I think he needs to be better in front of goal in certain uh, certain circumstances
4: I I like the way we play I like I like possession football as a as a, a, a spectator watching a game I like it, I like that much more than like hit and run it works really well for us up until armstrong stopped scoring and the thing that we failed to do was we failed to adapt to that and change the way we played to adapt to the fact that the the outlet for all this possession had stopped scoring if we'd have done that soon enough it might have been a different season but we never did. We we didn't change at all.
3: Well, let's, let's explore that because I think you you've you've unearthed um, a rich seam of uh, of um, of interest in me there. So when you sort of say you like the possession football, why do you like watching possession football?
4: I don't like the the Allardyce style statistic football where if you put enough if you lump enough balls into the box near the goalkeeper, yeah, you know.
3: Charles Reap, position of maximum opportunity all that thing.
4: Yeah. Statistically, you look at the statistics, that is where most of the goals come from. Mm-hmm. But it's not very entertaining and you go to football to be entertained. And my personal preference is for possession football. I like seeing teams that are comfortable keeping hold of the ball. It doesn't necessarily mean just like key tack of football. You know, I, I like players that can hold the ball and run with the ball and, do something with it at the end. I, you know, I, I class that as possession football.
3: Did we play possession football when we had managers like Dalgleish, Hughes, Suna?
4: Not necessarily. No, I don't. I don't think we did under um, under Dalgleish. That was that was more statistical football because we had two wingers and we played to the strengths of those two wingers, mm-hmm. who put a lot of crosses into the box, and we had strikers like Gallagher, Newell, Sutton, Shearer who could all handle that style of play. So no, I wouldn't say that was possession football.
7: I think with the players at our disposal at the moment, we're far more suited to using the pace that's available. Um, I think a more sort of counter-attacky style always looked a little bit more threatening to me because I always got... The games we always seem to do the best in, funny enough, were the ones where we didn't have as much of the ball. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Millwall away. That was Millwall away, where we won 2-0, criminally underrated performance. Really good, really resilient, got the ball, got it down, passed it out, ran with it and tried to score. We didn't spend forever passing it around the box. We just went straight for the goal and tried to shoot. It wasn't perfect, don't get me wrong, but we looked dangerous all of the time.
4: The idea, though, behind the possession that you've got is to, is to break, break the lines of the opposition, drag them out of position and create those chances for you quick strikers to run onto. If you if if all you're doing is getting the ball and lumping it forward for somebody to chase, then all you're doing nine times out of ten is giving the ball back to the opposition. Whereas the the whole point of the possession in your back your back four in your middle, however many you're playing, is to get those opposition players out of position. Yeah, by bypassing it bypassing it sideways. I
5: get, I get the theory. Just going to say, like I know Mowbray goes on about how he wants us to have an identity. He wants us to have like um a style that we play and I, I, I agree with Mike, I don't think we've got the players that he wants to play that style of football And actually, I don't think it is a Blackburn style of football in general anyway. We're not known to be a fancy team. It's not what we're known for. I think we're known for a bit more grit. Black
3: Eye Rovers.
5: Yeah, yeah. And I I like that. Linz, what's the most
3: entertaining side that you've watched?
1: As this last five minutes has kind of showed, entertainment is really subjective, isn't it? What I love... (laughs) I think somebody else wouldn't and vice versa. I think for me, though, it's funny to think of we want an identity and we want a brand because I don't even think we do the basics right. So I, I find that a little bit arrogant that we're sort of saying we are a brand of football when we can't take a corner. We can't we're take a free the kick. Round, yeah. Let's be real here. I am, I'm boring myself in saying, can we just get a ball into the box? And, can we not you know, it? on a selfish note... I back Daryl Lenehan every week to score. Last season, I made a fortune. He was banging him in left, right and centre. I think he got seven or eight goals last season. He paid for my season ticket. He's not scored this season. That's a huge shift for me because maybe we are so focused on being pretty. And personally, I haven't found this season pretty. I haven't looked and thought, God, I can't wait to go into the office if I could ever go into the office and brag to my mates about how good we look I don't really know we want an identity but we seem to set up for how the opposition set up a lot of the time we're not confident in what we're doing and we can't cross a ball I feel like I've missed something really like for me I would just like to get back to can we take a corner can we take a free kick can we move as a unit both forward and and back and use some of the skills we've got. You know, I don't think Ryan Naambi has crossed the halfway line in about 10 games. He's never exactly been known for sticking a tackle in. What you want from Nayambi is bombing down and, as Stuart says, dragging people out of position. So um, I know I've not answered your question, but for me, that is something I feel really strongly on. You need some basics before you can have an identity and, and we don't even do the basics well.
3: I'm going to ask Scott that question then, seeing as you didn't give me an answer. Scott, what's the most entertaining rovers side that you've seen
8: one of the early soonest teams because we just had a lot of young flair players who were just given license to roam like jansen Dunn. yeah there wasn't necessarily a, an identity it was just more in those days Four four two, simple get out there and play and yeah. it seemed to work for most of the time
3: the interesting thing for me was there was an awful lot, and I know the guys at Rovers Chat and Rovers Analytics do, do a lot of amazing uh, statistical analysis, but they were talking about possession-based stuff that Stuart's alluded to. And, I, and there is a correlation amongst the very best teams between possession and success on the field. But I would argue that the causation is the other way around, that the success on the field from the really, really good sides means that they have the ball a lot because the inferior teams can't take it off them. And I, I'm always fascinated when Moby sort of said, yeah, I want the high possession. No, I'm not bothered about that, frankly, because my favourite Rovers watching, I think, in the last few years was probably Mark Hughes' side. I think that that 4-3 yeah, that- win over Manchester United when you got the likes of two guys, Savage in midfield and uh, Bentley, I just thought Rocky Santa Cruz, Benny McCarthy, I thought Ooh. that that was actually one of our really most exciting and attacking sides. Matt, so let's bring you in then to, to round this off. What's your favourite style of football? What do you like to watch and where where would you put Rovers?
9: What I like watching is it's obviously the, the football where you're, you're playing to every player's strength. Now, that's something that I don't think we've done all season. I think for the majority of this season, and especially earlier on when we were playing well and, uh, against like Wickham and Coventry and teams like that, it was every single time it was to Armstrong or Elliot. Played to their strengths, but then the other the other eight outfield players on the pitch, it was sort of taking their games away from them. I think the football that I like is where you see every player doing their best and what they're best at, and I think this season we've seen, for glimpses maybe a game like Ben Broughton was best, we played his strengths. But for the majority of the season, it's always been to Armstrong, and that's why he's had you know the most shots in the team, probably the most shots in the league. And it helps a lot if you include every player in in the team on the pitch. And that's something that we've well we've just not done it this year. We've played to Armstrong all year. I think that's a great point. That quite often a
3: team can be have eleven inferior individuals but they gel. And we, we seem to have a collection of players that don't complement each other particularly well. I think that's a really interesting point.
7: I was just going to agree with you about you said about the most exciting team being that Hughes team. I was thinking, uh, absolutely perfect blend of of power and skill. Uh, I'd, I'd travel back in time to watch that all over again.
3: It wasn't the best of seasons, but who's to blame if we're going to do a bit of blame storming? Is it the owners? Is it Steve Waggett? Is it the manager and the coaching staff, the players? Or was it just an instance of Plain old rotten bad luck. So what I've asked our panellists to do is to allocate 100% of our blame across those five different potential contributors to our season. And we'll see if there's any sort of consensus as to who we should be scapegoating and whether we need to get pitchforks and torches. So, Scott, who would you blame? any season, owners
8: and CEOs have to take some of the blame. So allocate 10% and 20% for each of the owners and waggots. But ultimately, it comes down to the manager and that's where 70% lies. Because there was, you know, there was good reason to have kept Mowbray in at the end of January. Because let's not forget how close we were to the playoffs. Only three points off. The manager is in charge of motivating and giving them tactical instructions. So I don't assign too much to them, if any. And as for luck, I think the reasons Mowbray's given and not reasonable because they have applied to all of the clubs in the league so I think yeah I'm I'm mostly going with with the book stopping with Mowbray.
5: Um, I'm not so harsh on um, TM uh, and I do think the players should take a bit of responsibility Um, so I've gone for for 50% um, with Mowbray and his coaching staff um, 20% for the players. I do think that they need they do take responsibility because ultimately it's them who go out on the field and put the performance on. And yes, there's formations and tactics that come into play, but actually I think they need to, to take some responsibility on some of the performances that individually they put out. Uh, bad luck. I do think we, we always have a fair share. I think there's a number of penalties that we could have had this season given to us, but also given against us that probably wouldn't have been given for us. I think there's definitely always a bit of luck you can chuck in there. And then I think owners and waggett take 10%.
3: Nobody's mentioned XG yet. XG.
7: (laughs) Um, Absolutely, I will not include XG in this at all. I'm sorry, Andy Watson, if you are watching, but um, I don't want to overlap with too much of what people have said, but certainly I'd put a slightly higher percentage onto the owners here. And Don't get me wrong, I get it. They financially back us and... You know, and and again they don't have to and they're in a position now of kind of very reliant on him. But also a lot of the things that are going wrong, they're in a position right at the top of the tree to be able to correct those things and make decisions and make changes that can ultimately impact on you know, have a positive impact on things. And so far they've just been very blindly loyal and, and to be fair also just loyal to, to Waggett and Mowbray as well. So sort of forty percent with the manager, I think ultimately You know, he's going to take... uh, I've probably been more lenient than most, actually, but I think, ultimately, the on-field performance, he's ultimately responsible for that. The owner, I'd I'd give him... Yeah, 25%. I'm just making figures up on my own here. I haven't pre-prepared this clearly. Uh, <laughs> it's Wagga, when they add up to 110% like
3: them. a good footballer.
7: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll get on to that motivational speech later. But yeah, there's 10% on... Uh, I'd stick on Wagger, who nobody likes. But let's face it, his ability to impact much on the field is, is, is fairly limited. Uh, the players, uh, again, I'd give them a tiny portion uh, just purely because the manager can send them out there to play. But if they're having... 25 shots and only scoring one goal. They've got to take some responsibility for that. Rotherham away, for instance, in the week. In about 12 shots, they're all great chances. The manager can get them up to goal, but they've got to stick the thing in the net. And and if they're not doing that, then they're not doing the right. And I hate to... I can already see someone on Twitter wagging the finger at me and calling me deluded. But speaking of plain old rotten bad luck, we have had some very, very timely... Had luck with injuries this season as well. And I won't give it a big percentage, it isn't, it's a minor thing. But Lewis Travis, he was absolutely looking all good, blazing early season. Cropped down in Newcastle, the cup he was out for months. Brereton started like a house on fire, he got cropped and came back and took forever to get up to speed. It still holds me to this day, but Bradley dark. came back, looked a bit shaky to start with, was we getting banged back up to speed. And obviously, then that horrible moment right at the end of, of, of Brentford at home. And then also, centre back injuries as well. I mean, I wish I had a quid for every time a centre back went down with some sort of complaint. Uh, Daniel, Daniel Ayala on his own would have made a millionaire out of me I was about say now. It Would have
3: covered his wages you know, for sure.
7: Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. I, you know, I'm not going to spend the whole podcast pretending bad luck was to blame, but that's a pretty sizeable list of of unfortunate things that
3: that, that do have to as well. A series of unfortunate events, as you might say.
1: I mean, I misunderstood the question, didn't I? So <laughs> I thought I had to pick one person. If it was um, one person,
3: who would you blame then?
1: Oh, I don't know, because I think for me, it's like a two-part question. I think the seas has been poor on the pitch, but I equally think it's been poor off the pitch. Oh, yes. And I think off-the-pitch relations, the owners and Wagga are really responsible for, and I, I think agree. the club has missed the mark hugely. In terms of fan interaction and being a really positive thing during COVID, I've seen other clubs work incredibly well, and Rovers have been absent. Whilst the trust have been fabulous, Rovers as a club have been non existent. Um, so if I was 100% apportioning it to off the field, it would be them. Yeah. On the field, I think Mowbray takes the vast majority of the criticism, but I also think we are a camp devoid of leaders and characters. And I guess you could argue that he recruits these people. Yeah. But equally, there's been so many times I've been like, where is that person taking this game by the scruff of the neck? And again, I think he's almost kicked that out of some of the people who you would expect it from. And I think moby has got to take some responsibility for that as well. But equally your Darras and your Trabs and and your people who last season stepped up haven't been this time. So my split's fairly even with Mowbray taking most of the blame.
3: That's very very honourable of you. I think um, Mowbray, of course, gave a a three-year deal to probably the the biggest and the best leader at the club and then sent him on loan to Fleetwood Town. I think there was a big Charlie Moore grew-shaped leadership hole in the Rovers team and nobody, as you say, stepped up really to fill it. I think Daryl Lennon is the obvious candidate, but his form this season, I think he's struggled. I think he's found the last season to be very challenging for many reasons. Right, let's go to the uh, the Grimshaw household now, where you can vote for your Blackburn Rovers blame game. Stuart, we'll start with you. For the actual
4: results and where we've ended up at the end of the season, it's very, it's very difficult to assign blame to the first on the list, the arms or waggett. There are some there, obviously, because they provide some of the funding, I guess. But then the argument is it's tied by financial fair play. Um, Steve, as the CEO, what
3: about the pitch?
4: The state of the pitch?
3: Shouldn't they have provided some money for this two million pound stitch pitch?
2: Doesn't yeah, count yeah. for FFP. Yeah,
3: yeah. Why isn't Wager asking for a two million pound check from Venkis? I can hear people saying,
4: "Yeah, you, you, I suppose you're right, but you can't, you can't blame." pitch for where we ended up at the end of the season because Tony Mowbray tried <laughs> he did but um, um, you know he got the reaction he deserved utter
3: contempt yes
4: so for me anyway I don't for, for, the, for the finishing um, position in the league I don't really assign much blame as, as the manager you're responsible at the end of the day but there's a difference uh, for me between responsibility and blame you know, you carry the can for the results because yeah. it's actually quite a good job. If the players aren't performing on the pitch, not a lot you can do about that once the whistle goes. You can make subs, but it's it's very difficult to so have... So what percent would you
3: difference. put against the players then? Go on, nail your colours to the map.
4: I'd say, I don't know, 30% the manager and the coaching staff, 20% the players. Under old rotten luck, I'm going to include referees as because there's nowhere else for him to go. Um, I, think, I think we've had a shocking season for the quality of referees that we've had. They've cost us games, they've cost us goals, and the knock-on effect of referees making wrong decisions and the effect that has on the performance of the team, I think, is is quite significant. And when you get, when you get a run of games like that, that starts the rot in players' confidence that then is very difficult to pick back up again afterwards.
3: You are Mark Hughes and I claim my £10. <laughs> I, I coach a football team and I see it at, at that level
4: as well. I see the players getting traded with referees and it, it's no different if you're professional or, or if you're playing... You know, if you're playing for the frog and parrot on a Sunday morning, yeah. uh, frustration at a, ref- a referee and players' and decisions affects how you play.
3: I think it does within a game. I, th- I think there are, there are situations or flashpoints within individual games where you can see players not getting a decision they think they're due, so they race into the next tackle and get a yellow card. Or they give away a free kick or something daft like that that might cost you a goal. I'm afraid I'm very old school in that in that respect. In the over a season, I think you know 46 games of 90 minutes each is is enough for a lot of decisions to even themselves out. And, and I think look as totally well. Totally agree with you. Ian. <laughs> That's very kind of you.
9: <laughs>
3: okay, what about Grimshaw Junior? Then what, what does uh, what does young Matt think?
9: Obviously, throughout, throughout my time being a Rovers fan. I've known nothing but bad from the owners, you know, they get, get. you know, usually they get 50% of my blame every year. But I think this year, I think, yes, this, Mowbray would have gone and it's their their decision their, and Waggett has included well, including that. I'm only going to give 10% to the owners and Waggett combined. So five, five, eight, if you will. Very generous. Because I think the bulk of my blame is with, with Mowbray and the tactical decisions purely because it's so plain and simple to see as a fan watching watching the game that some things aren't, aren't going right, you need to make a tactical change and he just makes the completely wrong one Think I'm, I'm going to give 80% of my blame to Mowbray and the coaching staff. <laughs> you know, that might seem like quite a lot but it is all his fault. 5% five, five to the rest if I've done my, my maths correctly. Five. Okay to the players. at the end of the day, you know, they're the ones on the pitch, they're the ones that MOBA are telling to do these things. And I think it's something that I definitely wanted to touch on is the quality of the players that we brought in and what we expected and what we've got. Yeah. So Barry Douglas, for example, when when I saw him signing, I thought, Brilliant, quality set pieces, quality free kicks, corners and we've just not seen that at all. I know we hit the bar a couple of games ago from a free kick, but We've not seen what I expected from him and I think it's very its very difficult to, to not blame Mowbray, but the players definitely have to take a proportion of the blame. And then, obviously, 5% look. I think mainly that's that's for injuries and uh, absences through COVID. So, when we missed Kaminsky, I think it was a massive miss. Ainsley Pears, you know, that sort of fits into my previous point, I guess. He, he, he was... A Paul when he stepped in for Kaminsky and you know, Dax injury as well is included in, in that final five percent for Rotten Lock. Yeah, I think that, that's probably the lowest point of the season, I think, for for
3: many of us, I'm sure. Mowbray, he's got he's gotta carry the can, hasn't he, at the end of the day. He is the manager. Um I, I'd have no time for Steve Waggett, I have to say, I think the way that he prices tickets and his uh, the Waggett tax and all the rest of it. He spins a good yarn about spending money on pitches and then that disappears. He tries to sell half the training ground. So he would have a significant proportion of of my blame. I would also assign some to the owners then for allowing that corporate governance to take place at Ewood. I think the fact that there's a a very cosy arrangement between them all is just just too troubling. Anyhow, that's last season. Um, We're going to just take a break now and we'll come back and we will review the predictions that were made at the beginning of the season.
5: The BRSCS podcast. Definitely the best footballing podcast there is. No question. Right, can I have my car
3: keys back now? Right, let's have a quick hit just to cleanse the palate before we go on to our next topic. So I asked our panellists to consider a few questions and then if there were any that they particularly wanted to answer, they could come back. And one of the questions I asked was, if you could select a player from the current Burnley squad to join Rovers, who would it be? So, Matt, you've got some thoughts on this.
9: Who would you like to sign from Burnley? player that I would like to sign, I think it's quite an obvious one if you look at the Burnley squad, but um, Dwight McNeil, you know, he shows in a very, to put it simply, boring Burnley side, Dwight McNeil seems to show lots of excitement and in some cases, in, in games that I've watched, I can't say I've watched a lot of Burnley this season, but in the games I have watched, he's shown the he's the only glimpse of excitement in that squad and he's the only player that I can really see with quality. And I think he really fit our team and the players that we have. So if we kept Adam Armstrong, I feel like they'd really complement each other. It'd be a similar relationship to... Uh, adam armstrong and harvey elliott this season yeah you know complimenting each other and helping each other wherever possible
3: Mm, he's certainly an eye-catching player he's one that caught my eye holly you've got thoughts on this as well
5: obviously this is a fully hypothetical situation and would not actually want any burnley player to come straight to us but i i i have been a fan of chris wood um for a, a while to be honest and i think he is quite un- understated and uh, and I think he offers a goal threat that we potentially miss out on sometimes um, and I am quite partial to a New Zealander so yeah Chris right, would Ryan
3: Nelson shades there is that is that what I'm picking up yeah yeah Chris Wood. well there was a rumor at the time I think when he was at Leicester that we were interested in him but nothing came of it yeah. Obviously, of course that leads me into the old gag about what do Burnley FC and the Amish have in common They are both, of course, heavily reliant on wooden barns. So on that bombshell, we'll take a break, and then we'll come back and we'll review the predictions that were made back in September and see who is our uh, predictions champion.
6: There's a lot of things that can be discussed and debated about the season but the most important thing is we've got points and we deserve the points and if you get more than anyone else then the title's yours.
3: Right, back in September, you may recall, if you listen to it, that we got our panellists together to, to make some predictions. We've not got all of those people with us tonight, but we've got some of the key ones who need to stand or fall by the wisdom of their crystal ball. So we asked them who was going to finish top, and only Bill and Stuart predicted Norwich to win the league. A lot of people went with Watford, so that's an honourable second place. But only Bill and Stuart selected Norwich. We asked who was going to finish bottom and almost everybody picked Wickham and Sheffield Wednesday. I think Wednesday because of the points deduction and we recorded just after the Wickham game. So I think everybody thought that, that Wickham would go down. But are they going to go down? There's still a chance, of course, that they the, um, they might escape, depending on the legal action that happens with Derby. Personally, I have to say, I think that will be hilarious if Wayne Rooney's Derby County, were relegated thanks to the accountants and their depreciation policy. I just think that would be absolutely terrific. But it's time to now take the pee out of some people who suggested who was going to come bottom. And I'd like to welcome Linz, Scott and Josh, who predicted that Barnsley FC would finish bottom of the league. How does that feel, Linz? (laughs)
1: Honestly, it's been the highlight of the season because Rovers have been so poor, so seeing Barnsley do so well and knowing that I had predicted they were going to come bottom has probably been the best bit of the season for me, to be honest. They're just living the dream, aren't they?
3: Scott, is there an article in 4,000 holes on your predictive and cognitive abilities?
8: No, it was looking good October time, but it's just, it
3: is. Then they got their managerial appointments so sadly right, yes.
8: Exactly, and it just shows anyone just... Get half decent players together, make them play, and you can you can sneak into the playoffs. It's,
3: Get it's, a manager it's with some see. players who can play to a system, and look what happens. Perish the thought. The next question I asked was which club would be first to change their manager. This was an interesting one. Uh, a lot of people went for Huddersfield and for Nottingham Forest. It was actually Barnsley, as Scotts just alluded to. Barnsley got rid of Gerhard Struber, or he resigned on October the fifth. And then the day after, uh, Forrest changed their manager. Uh, Interestingly, Michael Taylor predicted that Daniel Farker would uh, would be out at Norwich. So uh, I think that may be unconnected with his his unavailability to come on this podcast. Who knows? Uh, Player of the Year, nobody got... Nobody got, though I am going to say that though the, we a number of us did pick the players' player of the year, which was of course Adam Armstrong. So, myself, Holly, and Stuart all said uh, that Adam Armstrong was, uh, was a likely candidate. Uh, the wild card question, uh, Josh Boswell said that he would predict that Rovers would be taking 10,000 fans to Wembley in May for the playoff final. So he was linking COVID relaxation with Rovers' impending success because he also tipped that Rovers would finish fourth. Um, Lynn said that Swansea would finish in the top four. So I think you get our plaudits for that. And Scott also said that Tony Mobley would definitely see the season out. So I don't know whether that was a wild card or whether it was just warning everybody of the impending doom that was going to come our way. But the um, the winner of our prediction competition, uh, we asked our panellists to predict where Rovers were going to finish. There was some incredible optimism, incredible optimism uh, emanating from the Grimshaw household. So, Stuart, you said that Rovers not only were going to get promoted, but they were going to get promoted in the automatic promotion places. Explain yourself.
4: Yeah. Normally, you see there's a team that has a push towards the end of the season and just misses out. And then they, they really kick on from that the season after yes. and, and claim one of the top. And I thought that was going to be us.
3: Okay. Looking
4: at the some okay. of the players and signings that we'd made, I genuinely thought that was going to be us. I do also remember kayating that, though, at the time, nah. with the fact that I said we had a strong... First, uh, first team, we had very little strength in depth, and if we got many injuries, then we'd struggle. And I think we I think this season would definitely come under the we've had quite a few injuries category. Yeah, I think I was, I was right in a way. I said that
3: if we, you know, if we got injuries, it'd be we wouldn't do it, okay. and we did, and we didn't. Right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut you off at that point because quite clearly you're hoping that we'll all get bored. Stuart predicted that we would finish second, everybody. Uh, Tom, our good friend from the 1875 podcast, Tom Schofield, he predicted fourth. As I said, Josh predicted fourth. Uh, I was very much castigated (laughs) once again for my my, uh, lack of optimism, and I predicted 13th. And it transpired that I was way too optimistic. And there was only one person who guessed correctly, and that was Holly. Holly, you predicted 15th. What did you see way back in September that the rest of us failed to recognise?
5: Clearly got our crystal ball... <laughs> uh, but I think, um, to, to Stuart's point, I, I, I just I, I didn't have faith that our um, the depth that we had in our our squad could see us out to the end of the season. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, I was right.
3: Indeed, indeed. Well, well done. Congratulations. Uh, Scott is a previous winner. Mr Delap is a previous winner. But you uh, can wear the crown throughout the rest of the season and we'll bring you back uh, you. in August and September and we'll do the same sort of thing again for this, this coming season.
6: Could I just take you back four years to that moment when you decided to bring in Kenny Dalgleish? How important was that looking back?
2: Well, I think it speaks for itself. Where we were, we got promotion then then into the Premier League and we finished the... Fourth, and then we finished runners-up and then we won it and we didn't really plan to win till next year so we've got another bonus so we'll have to win next year now. I don't know if it's escaped anybody's
3: attention but recently a managerial appointment in Italy saw Jose Mourinho incredibly uh, move on to go manage Roma and, and that led me to ponder the question to our panellists how long is it going to be and how many clubs will he have to go through before he ends up at Ewood Park?
7: I think we've missed one boat for it to happen, but I think once he's finished at Roma, potentially we might get another, because there's a very natural curve that he can travel down after that, which will pretty much mirror Mowbray from this point. So after Roma, straight on to Celtic, definitely. Do a sort of half-decent job there. Um, and then really after that, it's just all winding down to failing failing miserably at Coventry, uh resigning, and then having a few years off, maybe going holiday with his kids uh, over to Rovers. A lot of benefits of this. He's willing to do a documentary, so Josh can film that as if, if we go along from there. He's also willing to swear on TV, which we like. He's really, really good and brilliant at taking credit when it goes right and deflecting blame when it goes wrong, so he'll fit in a treat here. Um, and also he's willing to take photos of celebrities as well, so all the famous Rovers fans, Matt Smith, Akon, might struggle with David Guest now, admittedly, um, from there, but yeah, I think it's only a matter of time. It really
3: is. Well, we look forward to that, I have to say. Uh, The special one at Ewood would be quite something. Some fans have been queuing for three hours for tonight's celebrations, a small sacrifice for a club which waited 81 years to win the title. There may
7: not be room for all the supporters, and that'll almost certainly mean another night of record takings in the town's pubs. Kevin McKay, BBC News, at Ewood Park in Blackburn.
3: Uh, Also, the happening this summer is the Euros, and we have our our Scotland FC correspondent on the line. So, Linz, preak the score of the Scotland-England game.
1: Scotland will win. And I've said this from the word go, I'm absolutely convinced that we will win. I think we will be knocked out at the group stages, and I have no plans after the 22nd of June, (laughs) but I'm convinced that Scotland will beat England.
3: I think I put on Twitter earlier this year that Scotland to beat England 1-0... But to fail to qualify, so I think I think I'm with you. Oh, on that. I think of course! That there's, there's something it's, in the stars about Scotland beating.
5: Yeah,
1: you guys will probably win the whole tournament. We'll no. dine out on you know some scrappy one nil goal. Really, what I would love to happen is we beat you one nil. I can enjoy that for like four days until we're knocked out. You guys may probably the semi-final because the final i'd be too nervous and then like get crushed or even like a penalty shootout might be nice for england to lose but kind of that's that's my thoughts as to how the summer is is gonna go and Uh, you know it's great because rovers always let me down scotland always let me down so my bar's very low
3: splendid let's quickly go around the rest of the panelists then england in the euros mike yeah semi-finals
7: decent really decent team i think we'll do quite well this time but I suspect we might have a bit more luck in a couple of years' time. They're probably not quite ready for it, but they'll they'll do well. They'll do
8: well. Porters, I think. I think we're we're looking strong. A lot of young players and and a lot of options.
5: I had semis written down as well. I don't trust us in a final.
4: (laughs) Yeah, semi final for me as well.
3: England are winning the Euros. Yeah, that's what we wanted. Like so, that's what I wanted. (laughs) I knew I knew was the right thing to come to you last. So one, one way or another, we'll, we'll get a Grimshaw back on this, this podcast in September <laughs> to explain themselves.
7: They hung from traffic lights. They stood proud through car sunroofs and on top of them. They celebrated outside Anfield, outside Ewood, outside pubs. And outside their homes.
3: Right, so in our final bit of this podcast, what we're going to do is just uh, clear up any other business. I think there's one or two issues that we, uh, we still wanted to just discuss. But we'll start off with a light-hearted one. So I did ask the panellists to consider if there was a, a, an official Rovers theme song for the season that we've just experienced, what would it be and why? And we've got Scott and Stuart, who I think have got some suggestions. So, Stuart, what's the Rovers theme song for last season?
4: There's a, a band... I'm going to say that I like, but it's my daughter that likes it. I'm just trying to be down with the kids, called uh, 21 Pilots. Um, and they've got a song called Stressed Out, um, <laughs> which is appropriate. I'm not going to go for the 21 Pilots version. I'm going to go for the um, Puddles Petty Party version of it, which is that depressed clown thing that they have on American TV. and uh, they do a really really downbeat version of of stressed out it's worth worth having a look on youtube i think that's the uh, the rovers theme tune puddles pity party singing stressed out
2: my name is blurry face and i care what you think my name is blurry face and i care what you think. We could turn back time to the good old days When our mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out Wish we could turn back time to the good old days When our mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out
3: Scott, what's your take on what Rovers theme song should be for last season?
8: It's a song which has been on the playlist of Rovers Radio a couple of times this season and it's Talking Heads Road to Nowhere.
3: Think is going to be at Rovers after this summer? That, that's the, one of the lingering questions. Mike, who do you think is likely to leave and who do you think is likely to say what's the squad going to look like?
7: This might be a blessing in disguise, having a bit of a clearer deck to work on because I think there is arguably quite a bit of Deadwood whose powers are on the Wayne that realistically don't need to be here anymore, free up some space. But I think realistically, we're looking at quite a young core. I think as long as Tom Kaminsky's here, actually I don't really care who else is here, I'll be perfectly honest. Uh, the Lord our saviour. There's a quarter builder, I mean, ranking Costello if he can stay fit, he'll be here. I'd have thought, uh, contract pending. I'd like to see Wharton as well, a bit more of a chance he'll still be here. And obviously Pickering's coming in from, from crew as well. I think there's a nice quarter builder on midfield who'll all be here. Davenport, Travis Buckley, uh Tyree Stolen as well. Uh, obviously, further forward, Gallagher and Perrotton, the, the the two ugly stepsisters who occasionally play OK. Uh, so there's a few, you know, there's a few to build around there. But I think it's going to be quite threadbare. I think there's going to be a lot of work and surgery to be done. And I think there's a, a, certainly quite a bit of experience adding to that as well.
3: Holly, who do you think is going to still be here in August? And do you think Ryan Namby will be amongst that number?
5: Um, I think really similar to Mike, actually. I think we're going to have to trip it back to the bare bones and and really focus on um, encouraging our our youth and and really nurturing them because I think we're going to have to rely on them and probably rely on a couple of loan players coming in. I, for one, would love to see Harwood Bellis come. Whether that's going to be an option is is another thing. But out of all the loan players, he, for me, has been... The most crucial, and obviously, everyone will say, oh, "What about Harvey Elliott?" But no, him, I think, has been his performance. I think, especially towards the end of the season, he's shown real um, maturity alongside yeah. Lenihan, and I'd love to love to have him back. Yeah, one. Um, in turn, um, yeah, in terms of Naomi, I'd like to see his stay, um, but then I also think there's something not right going on in in the background, um, because he seems to have been out or dropped at random stages of the season. Tony Mowbray talked about having a cup of tea with him, which was just a really surreal moment in the season. Um but I, I'm just not sure. And actually I think he's at the stage of his career now where he needs to be playing week in, week out to continue to develop and he's not getting that continuous mm. game time then it's going to really stifle his career. So I don't think that we should be in a position to stand in his way if Mowbray or whoever the manager is can't guarantee that, then I think we need to let him go and I find where he's, he's going to go and play in the future. And yeah, I've heard that he's going to Preston. And that would be disappointing to me because I think that, I think would, be that would be a step down. And, I think if you, well, it's not a
3: step down, is it? He <laughs> finish higher than us, which is another another point. But uh, um, well, a sideways
5: move then. Yeah, yeah.
7: I'm a, I'm slightly controversial in my opinion with most people, but I actually think when he's fit, I think ranking Costello is a better right back
5: than Ryan I love J R C and
7: everyone keeps coming up me saying, Oh, he's a right midfielder, he's a right winger. He's not. He's he's a right sided player, you can slot him anywhere along there and every time he's played there he's defended every bit as well as his attacks. He's really good, it's keeping him fit seems to be the
5: problem. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I having, think his uh, final ball is better than Ayambes as well. Yeah, I think there's there's a, there's an
3: argument to that. I think it's just the disappointment of seeing a young kid come through the ranks uh, and have definitely have potential and us not to be able to exploit it. I don't think we've developed... In, well, I don't think any yeah. player really has got better this year, with the possible exception of Armstrong. Um, but even then, I don't know whether he's really got better. Is just we have structured the team up around him. I'm just disappointed that we don't. You know, it's that he's one of our own things. We've we've rescued his his career as a young lad that's from Manchester. We, we, yeah, we should we should be scooping those up and keeping a hold of them. I just don't think that Tony's uh, Tony's handled him particularly well. But big changes during the squad. Uh, I think we're going to see. Well, we we know we're going to see the back of Holtby, Downing, Bennett. Uh, almost certainly, I'd have thought. Although I don't think that's official yet. Evans, we know he's going. I think Johnson will probably end up staying. Harry Chapman's an interesting one. I think that, that uh, I can only think they're trying to get some money for him. or try and get something back from him. I can't think that Mobley all of a sudden will start relying on him. Uh, I'd like to see Rothwell stay, but who knows? And I say I've heard that Niambe Preston is the one. So we shall see. Lastly, but by no means least then, who's going to go next season? Linz, you are our most loyal, most travelled supporter. Season tickets, are you going to get one next year and where do you stand on the whole debate?
1: I will get one next season because I get all money knocked off from last season so I bought a season ticket knowing that I probably wouldn't see any football but felt like it was the right and obviously we're on a podcast so you can't see me doing my air quotations (laughs) things to do for the club um as the season's gone on you know, and I referenced it earlier, I don't think club have necessarily handled things in the way that I would have liked. And had I not had all this money to be knocked off this season, I think I would seriously be considering whether I want to reinvest or not. I think as important as the squad rebuild is, the club needs to look at rebuilding its relationship with the fans. Um, and I think they've got an opportunity to do that with season tickets and with pricing in general they usually get spectacularly wrong and I'm hoping they read the room on this occasion and Mm -hmm. get it right. Um, and obviously, we've seen today from Motherwell, they're offering free season tickets to anybody who bought a season ticket last season. If you want to pay for your season ticket, you can use that money to either pay for somebody who can't afford to go, or you can make that donation to their trust to support the community. And I, I know myself and a number of others were after something similar for Rovers last season and it wasn't listened to. Yeah. How are we a community club if we're not listening to our community? Um, and I would happily pay again if that money were getting more people through the door or getting young fans in or helping out in an area that I care about, even though I'm not from there. So I guess it's kind of a bit of a plea to listen, there's some really good ideas amongst our fan base that I think increasingly aren't being heard. And even if they stick it up by 50 quid, they will lose another thousand season tickets. I don't think we'll sell more than 5,000 anyway. Mm. We've really got to read the room. On this subject for me
3: Yeah I think there's a lot There's a lot of pressures on fans I mean you, you've got people Who are still going to be worried About their health You've got people Who've got out the habit And I think that's the biggest concern That you know We see a structural shift In how people spend their time Curiously I've probably spent more time on Watching Rovers last season On the laptop Because every game is available On iPhone like, so instead of only going to local away games, you, know, you were able to watch every game. So it became, during lockdown, a, a, a useful diversion. But paying £10 to do that and not to have to incur all the travel costs and all that sort of thing is, is a fundamentally different uh, different exercise. I, I, I'm really concerned that when the prices come out, there's going to be a furore. And I'm really concerned that a lot of people will vote with defeat because I think, have we got a new manager... And had we got that sort of like reinvigoration of of the of the side and the club, I think it, it, it could, they could have ridden a wave of optimism. But there's so many people sort of saying, "Well, another year of Mowbray, uh, you know, half the squad's going to be going." I'm I'm really struggling here. So it would take a, a really good gesture, I think, to try and build that that base back up again i think you're absolutely right we shall see but we fear the worst listen folks i thank you wholeheartedly for your time once again i've taken up far too much of it so i'm going to let you go but before i do thank you very much to our panelists uh lives very own mike dilap mike any final thoughts
7: a bit of a plea to everyone who's a rovers fan whether they're a season ticket holder or, or or sort of not or just go to the odd game that sort of thing keep doing it I think it's going to be a season next season it's actually a good chance for everyone to to basically show that they're willing to to support during the tough times easy to do it whilst we're all you know winning and getting promoted and you know in Europe and stuff like that but this is the tricky bit so let's just all do it together and we're
3: in this together together, apparently apparently.
7: exactly I'm just a (laughs) list of club slogans at the moment but yeah that's one of them
3: Thanks for your time, Mike. Appreciate it. Uh, 4,000 holes, of very own Scott Sumner.
8: Back to normal in terms of being able to go from the first match next season. And um, the whole no I think, it's going to play out at some point in the future, whether that's in four months or 12 months. So just be patient. Keep it civil if you can. Let's just try and look forward to the future positively.
3: Indeed so. Uh, the Grimshaw family then. Grimshaw Senior, Stuart, Master Predictor. Thank you for your time. Any last thoughts?
4: Um, with everything that's going on in the world at the moment, I think it's um, it's important as a group of Rovers fans, we just try and be nice to each other.
3: Matt, thank you for your contributions and giving us a, a more youthful perspective than we get on this pod. Any last thoughts from yourself?
9: It's a simple one, really.
3: Uh, two words. Uh, Mo Brown. <laughs> Harsh, but fair. Linz, thanks once again for your time and your forthright opinions. Any final throwaway lines from yourself?
1: I suppose just I am super excited to get back as grumpy as I've been. Um, you know, I really hope come the first game in all, I'm buying a copy of 4,000 Holes from Scott and back Absolutely. in the pub yeah. and anybody that sees me is welcome to hug me. That's on record. Um, yeah, I think just football has the opportunity to either bring us all together or tear us all apart. And I think it was really positive at the beginning of COVID. It has got really negative now. I hope as things ease, we all cheer up a little bit and come Scotland, obviously.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we appear to have lost Holly. I hope we didn't upset her, but uh, when you listen to this back, Holly, thank you very much for your, um, your contributions to the pod this evening and of course for being our prediction champion so mike scott lynn Stuart, matt and holly thank you very much and thank you for listening
1: lunch and hugs right lots of hugs yeah
7: isn't, isn't it just cautiously hugging at the moment we can't go full throttle
3: <laughs> in case you is, pull a muscle is,
1: is, is cautiously hugging like you can't dance at a wedding are we at that like level we can go to a wedding but you can't dance at a wedding is that right I think
3: that's a cold play album isn't <clears throat> it cautiously hugging <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh Holly says she'll see you at Sheffield United away Ian she's me. we've the thunder and lightning now so she's lost her electricity and her internet Um, But she says she'll, yeah, see you at Sheffield United away.
3: so that just about wraps it up for another season just one final bit of housekeeping I'd like to thank the Symmetry Band for use of the music throughout the whole of our series they've really been very supportive towards us our guests during the course of the season that have included Rovers Legends Derek Fazakali and John Stead we also interviewed of course Tim Farron about his love of Rovers and that appearance on Mastermind. And we had a lovely old chat with Tony Parks' daughter Natalie and it's been lovely to see on social media some of the photos of, of her and Tony meeting his, uh, his grandchildren. That's been fantastic as well. Thanks also to Josh Henry for letting us play his reworking of By Gun Will Make It A Day and also thanks to Matt Hall for the professional voiceover work that you hear on every episode. In the meantime, have a fantastic summer, and let's hope that Matt Grimshaw's prediction of England winning the Euros actually comes to fruition. This is the BRSCS
6: podcast,
2: Sports Social Podcast Network.
0: It's the 90th minute. All you mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mate's already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You win? At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network.
9: TalkSport. Powered by fans.